Hey, this is the podcast for Tuesday, August 11th. On the show, are you in or are you out? We hear from parents trying to decide if they should send their sons and daughters back to school. Plus, the police department needs an overhaul, and is it time to celebrate our low COVID numbers? It's all coming up on the podcast. Let's get started. Are you planning to send your kids back to school? Are you concerned, like so many parents, about the plan for elementary, especially for those younger grades where the class sizes aren't changing? I mean, sure, the province says, well, we put all this money in, and it's only, what is it, $30 million, uh, $30 million for you know more supports for more teachers. Meanwhile, the TDSB says, well, to you know to get the class sizes down to 15 per class in Toronto alone, that would be $250 million. Gives you a sense of the divide, the gap there on the money, on the funding. So what do you think? Are you in or are you out? I have a son going into grade 7. I have a daughter as well goes into grade 10. Less concern there. But I have a son going into grade 7. Uh, and just yesterday, his mom texted me and said, I don't know. And up until this point, I really, you know, was leaning towards it. He's got to go back. He's got to get back. He really, I mean, he needs it. We need it. But the drumbeat of concern continues. And then you see the numbers today, 33. And then I, you know, and now I think, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to his mom. His mom's got great, you know, his, you know, great points. All those kids all jammed in there. That doesn't sound like a good idea. But I'm thinking there's 33 cases in all the entire province. We're not going to send kids back? Are you in or are you out? Stephen is on line one. Stephen, are Hi. you in or are you out? Um, we're actually out. Uh, my daughter turns four this month, actually, and we're not even sending her to school whatsoever this year. Uh, you don't know if um, all of a sudden all the, the cases spike up and then they end up closing the schools down. So we're we're going to keep her home and just homeschool her for the first year. So your daughter would have been going into JK? Yes. Uh, and what's the impact on the family to not have that daycare option? Um, right now, not a whole lot because her mom's been a stay-at-home mom. Right. So. Well, that puts you. I mean, that puts you. You know, there, there's a, obviously a hardship. You know, without having the break, but it, you know, at least you're not in a point where you have to have a daycare option one way or the other. No, absolutely, and I, I feel for the people that have to. And it's, it's kind of stupid, but if. They opt for it, and it's like, oh, now we have to put school daycare in, and well, no daycares are closed too. If everything closes down, so. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate your call. Will's on line two. Are you in or are you out, Will? We are in as a family. My son's going into grade six, and uh, I think the social and psychological ramifications, if he was not to return, would be quite dramatic. Um, I think the kids need to be social, they're missing something in the classroom, being around other kids, uh, the structure, the discipline from the teacher. Uh, we did Zoom uh, for, the, for the lockdown, and he had three, four hours a day 
with some screen breaks, but it just it just wasn't the same socially and mentally. No, I I hundred percent agree. Uh, you know, my son was in grade six last year, and you know, if we could get him to do two hours a day, that was a push. But really, that was with either my wife or his mother, like sitting beside him and unable to do anything else. And so we can't have a situation where it's just all back on the parents here. Uh, thanks, Will. Appreciate your perspective. Uh, Andrew is on the line. Are you in or are you out, Andrew? Uh, we don't know, uh, but I'll tell you, Alan, last time I heard you say in and out, it reminded me of an untested birth control technique from the 70s. <laughs> we we got a hell of a thing going on right now with our kids because... What is going on in your mind, dude? Okay, fine. <laughs> No, Man, but, you know, it's what it's what led to the kids, Alan. It's what led. To well, the that's kids, so. uh, V. I, now you got a little kid on. Uh, you know, you you've other things to worry about. You're not lying. So here's the situation. I, I have uh, two sets of grandparents. Thank God they're still with us. But they they all have compromised health conditions. So if we do send our our, our little guy into SK, uh, if you honestly think that these little kids are going to practice social distancing, you got another thing coming. And, and I know that girls develop quick, more quickly than guys. Alan, a year ago today, I couldn't sleep at night because we still didn't have them toilet trained yet for school. So in, in, in addition to the obvious issues that parents face with their kids going, uh, to, to listen to the, the crap that, that the government is saying and suggesting that we should all try it, I'm sorry, but um, health is not worth the risk when you consider that a lot of what the government is saying, they're just playing small town cheap on a lot of these issues. And it's Thanks, sad. Andrew. I appreciate your call. Thank you so much. Uh, and I, I think Andrew expresses a concern that I think a lot of parents have when they hear Doug Ford say, well, let's take a shot. Let's just take a shot at it. You know, let's and give this a shot. Let's give it a shot. That doesn't sound good. I, I think it's a good plan. Well, I, I, I think a lot of parents are concerned that the class sizes is the issue. It's the class size that is the issue. If you factor into your concern and your and your and your thoughts about whether you're in or whether you're out, get your mind out of the gutter. Whether you're in or whether you're out in the fall, does that change your mind at all? Thirty-three cases today. John's online for what are you going to do, John? Oh, thank you very much for taking my call. Good afternoon. Um, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I want to be in. I want to, I believe, the CEO of Sick Kids, my beautiful little angel is going into grade five. They need the structure, the socialization. They need that. They didn't have that with Zoom. I agree with your other two, three callers who mentioned that. My John, uh, sorry, Alan, I'm John. Alan, <laughs> my, my problem is my concern, should I say. They're saying it's airborne. Now, you have 30, 20, 25 Great fives in a classroom. Little Billy and Zilly sneeze and cough. Where is that going? The, 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 the Catholic school that my daughter attends doesn't have an air conditioning system in a beautiful brand new school, eight-year-old school, go figure. It's set up for air conditioning, but they don't actually have an, a, uh, an air conditioning system. So that concerns me when my parents, who are 70, 
take care of my daughter being a single father when I work shift work. So that let me ask you this, John. If, if you do send your daughter back, if you, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot to be weighed here. And I'm doing the same calculation. I'm doing the same calculation thinking it's better for my son. Again, I said my daughter is in going into grade 10. Not the same concern. So right. class size is much different. But, right. I, you know, I, I he needs the structure. There's the mental health issue. There's yeah. all of these things that weigh on me. And then I think if he goes back... I am not going to see my parents at all until, I don't know, a vaccine maybe. I can't do that, Alan. My parents help me with my daughter four days a week because of my job in the public sector. I have no choice. I'm a single dad. I rely on my parents to help me with my child because I'm a single dad. This is another concern. She goes to grade five in September. Something happens. She brings it home to my seven-year-old mother and father. What do I do then? I have no one can give me a straight answer. I know there's not one complicated, one single answer, and that's what frustrates me. Is I don't know what to do here. I'm in. The, I'm right in the middle, Alan. You know what I mean? I don't know what to do. Are you in the Toronto district at all, John? York, York Region. York, York. York. So you're in the sort of same boat where you, you're going to get the robocall soon. You're going to get a call, and they're going to ask you, "Are yeah. you, you know, are you in or are you out?" And at this point, it doesn't sound like you have a, any idea really either way. I would love to give a better answer to the robocall, even to you, your, your show. Uh, I want to make sure that if I say I'm out, can I bring my daughter back in? Let's say I want to see the first two weeks go by. I want to just see how everything works. Apparently, they're going to give you dates that you can bring your child back, right. meaning you can't pick the dates. They tell you when. So if I wait for the first two weeks, Alan, they're going to say, okay, no problem. No problem, John. But you have to bring your daughter back uh, November 15th, second term. That means she'll be homeschooled from September to November. I don't think that's fair. She's in a class as a taxpaying citizen. We should yeah. have the, the argument to bring, you know, bring, her, bring them back when we see it's fit. You know? Well, plus, plus John, if, if, if they're trying to tell us that homeschooling is whatever that was in the spring, I don't know what that was in the spring, but it wasn't homeschooling, not by a long shot. John, appreciate your call. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so you get a sense there, as you hear our callers, that, uh, you know, people are one way or the other. They're trying to weigh this, and it's weighing on us, all us parents. Doug Ford yesterday in his press conference again pressed again over class sizes and the back-to-school plan here in Ontario. And the pressure continues to mount that uh, petition to lower the class sizes in uh, JK to grade 8, where it is just sort of status quo. It's status quo. It's the same as it was before. And if you got kids in the system, you know, like in some cases, that's, you know, 25, sometimes 30 kids a class. Yeah, I know what the class cap sizes are, but those are averages. And to keep an average, you have some smaller class sizes than the main ones. They're busting at the seams. So the government says... Well, we got a great plan. Our plan is it's the best plan. And when pressed time and time again, Doug Ford says, you know what? I would like smaller class sizes too. That's what he said yesterday. I understand that people want smaller class sizes uh, in elementary all the way up to high school. High school is a different thing. They've got cohorts, 15 per class. That seems to be worked up. I'm talking about the younger kids here. So he says yesterday, Doug Ford, that he wants smaller class sizes just like you. And then he says this. Not going to be putting kids in strip malls or industrial buildings. That's for sure. There was an option to put kids in strip malls. Give your head a shake. <laughs> did, did I miss that? 
because I would have been all for that. Let's give this a shot. Sure. Why don't we put the kids in the derelict industrial buildings? I, I think it's a good plan. I think it's a good idea. Give them some of that, you know, industrial learning. Because, you know, give them, you know, get them, get them right in there. And maybe we've got like an, a, an abandoned foundry somewhere. That's a good place to do math. Give your head a shake. <laughs> Nobody was really asking the premier about that. But I guess what he meant, what he means there is we don't have the space. So we don't have the buildings. And even though Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education, has said, well, we're going to take the gymnasiums and we're going to take the cafeterias and we're going to turn those into learning spaces so we can get some more physical distancing. Everybody knows if you know public schools and especially if you know schools in parts of this city that are just bursting, you already got the portables jammed. That's not going to be really possible. So then Stephen Lecce comes up to the uh, podium. And Stephen Lecce, could you do me a solid here? Could you just lay some heavy-duty corporate speak on me? Our plan is premised on ensuring that we put every single uh, protocol in place to de-risk the circumstance. To what the Protocol who? in place to de-risk the circumstance. I, I'll de-risk your circumstance? What does that mean? Ensuring that we put every single uh, a protocol in place to de-risk the circumstance. Uh, my my circumstance feels de-risked now. But tell us, uh, Sir Stephen, what is it that is the real key to the plan here in Ontario for schools? What is the key to your plan actually succeeding? The effectiveness of this plan is predicated on the willingness of the population to continue to do their part. I mean, community transmission has so much to do with the ability of keeping schools open. So, it's up to you. It's not It's not about the kids. It's not about the plan. It's you. It's you, and you're going to the beach, and you're hanging out with dudes with chainsaws, and that's not... It's your fault. It's your fault. I actually went to the gym yesterday, and I thought about it the whole time. I'm like, am I... Am I, I, I decided I'm, I'm going to... I just so desperate to get back to the gym and get some chainsaw work I got to do, get the abs tightened up. But let's I, give this I, a shot. Let's get, and, and, and this is the premier's point. Let's give it a shot. So, you know, and I'm actually thinking to myself as I'm at the gym, I'm thinking, am I part of the problem? Am I the guy that now is going to make schools just impossible in September? Because here I am at the gym Stephen Lecce seems to think so, because it's up to us. It's not up to the planners. Protocol in place to de-risk the circumstance. Oh, man, my circumstance feels pretty risky. Goodness gracious, we need to do something about the police. Yesterday's report from the Human Rights Tribunal, we're going to get to that in just a moment. Pardon me, I called it the tribunal. It's the Human Rights Commission. But uh, more news today that Ontario's police watchdog says it will begin collecting data on race as part of its investigations this fall, but only on a voluntary basis. The SIU says it will collect information from complainants, those who have been seriously injured or who allege sexual assault or relatives of those who have died. The agency says it will collect data from officers under investigation. That change is on October the 1st. Now this comes as the Ontario Human Rights Commission, as I get it right, 
released a second report that found black people in Toronto are disproportionately arrested, charged, and subjected to use of force by the city's police service. This document found that even though black people represent only 8.8% of this city's population, they represent almost a third of all charges in police data from 2013 to 2017. Ina Chata is the interim chief commissioner of the Human Rights Commission. Ontarians often express the view that racial disparities in police use of force in Toronto is not as serious as in the United States. However, Dr. Wortley's research reveals a different picture, a picture that compels us to stop perpetuating this myth. Specifically, the likelihood of a black person being shot by police in Toronto is just as high as for a black person in the average city in the United States. That is Ina Chato, the Interim Chief Commissioner of the Human Rights Commission, speaking yesterday about the release of this report. And what an interesting point, and I think a point that needs to be made again and again. We get very complacent here. We get very uppity and, well, holier than thou, are we not? This is sort of a truth, an ugly truth of the Canadian psyche sometimes, as we like to just point our fingers across the border and say, well, 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 we're better than them. And the evidence shows that's not the case. That is not true when it comes to police and the black population of this city. Now, with that as a background, today the mayor of this city, John Tory, took the wraps off a, a report that is going to go towards the, or it's going to go in front of, pardon me, the police services board to uh, likely, you know, discuss and forward on and, and vote on, and it is likely to be accepted. Not, it's not a rubber stamp. I want to tell you just real quickly what the Police Services Board is before I get too deep into this, because it's important to understand this. If you want to talk about defund the police, if you want to talk about police reform, you actually have to understand the mechanism and the mechanics of who is actually in charge. And it is not really the city that is in charge, despite all of this talk at council about funding and about money and all of this talk from the mayor as well. Because the Police Services Board is made up of political appointees from the province and also from the city itself, and then there's community members, and it is the body that oversees the approval of the police budget. And then it goes on to council from there. But it is the the entity that looks at the line by line of the actual police budget. And it is also constrained by provincial legislation, what it can do in terms of the amount of money. Can it scale back the amount of money overall that police get? Well, not really. Now, one of the main pushes of all of this activism about police changes is it is time in this city and in this province and in this country to stop sending people with guns to mental health calls. And time and time again in the last number of months we have seen tragic outcomes in Toronto, in Peel region, where the people with guns 
respond to mental health calls, and it ends in death. So what we are supposed to have is we are supposed to have these mental health response teams. They are the teams that are supposed to go to these mental health calls, not the people with guns. So there are two main asks. There's a number of asks asks of the province from the police services board if they do approve this report, in this report. And it's important to understand these two things. You just heard that right there, is that there are two things really top of mind. One is that the city wants the province to amend legislation so that police officers accused of misconduct can actually be removed and removed from the payroll. For example, you may know the Terrio brothers, one who is a police officer who has been convicted of assault in the case of DeFonte Miller. Uh, Mr. Terrio is still in the employ, still being paid by the Toronto Police Service, and there is very little, if anything, the police service can do about that. So the city wants the province to come in and change that. The other thing that the pro- the city wants the province to do is take a look at the use of force model, and that is basic to training. And so this is basically just, you know, lobbing it over to the the province here and saying, look, this is, this is the stuff that, you know, we're hearing from our constituents. We're hearing the anger on the streets, and you need to do something about that. Now, you may know that coming up in just about a half an hour's time, the Premier and the Mayor of Toronto, John Tory, will be together. They'll be together for the Premier's regular 1 o'clock announcement, and the question is going to be right to the premier. Hey, listen, the mayor had a press conference just earlier this morning and he laid out a number of things he wants you to do. What are you going to do about it? When asked exactly that question earlier today, John Tory had this to say about the Ford government. And how is this for faint praise? I know that the Premier and the Solicitor General are not um, oblivious to the messages that we've received from the people uh, loud and clear with respect to some of the changes they would like to see made. Not oblivious. What do you think of uh, the Premier? He's not oblivious. Not oblivious. Uh, that That is, that's pretty political. Let's get back to the tee-up that I had before about the mental health response teams and I think this might come as a surprise to you. How actually available are the current mental health response teams in this province and in the city? At present, uh, those mobile crisis intervention teams for uh, people in crisis are available only limited hours of the day uh, on limited uh, days of the week in limited places across the city. Any funding for this expanded MCIT mobile crisis intervention team service would come from within the services 2020 budget, no new money allocated for that, and would be continued uh, to be funded without a request from the service for additional funding for the 2021 budget. That is John Tory this morning laying out portion of that report. And that is interesting is because what the police services board cannot do is they really cannot go in there and cut the police budget back. But what they can do is say, you know what, we're going to take the money from here and we're going to put it over there. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget, you can catch me live every weekday on 640 Toronto, starting at noon.
Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the great white north and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.